Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. All right, guys. This is the last episode of the Colorado Elk Hunt series of daily podcasts. I hope everyone's enjoyed them up to this point, and um, I've been really excited with how this project has turned out, and I'm looking for as much feedback as I can possibly get on it, what you liked, what you didn't like, what what I can improve on, anything along those lines. So this will be a recap of days 12 and 13, which is 13 is when we packed out, so there's not a whole lot going on there, but... The reason why I'm recording this now, so actually I'm recording this on October 2nd, and I did not record it on the last night of of the hunt, and the reason for that being is I got really sick and couldn't really talk at all, so that's kind of the, the reason behind it, and I kind of wanted to change gears a little bit with how I did this last episode. I wanted to, you know, cover the last couple of days of hunting and, and what happened there. I would like to have the other guys on it that were there with me experiencing it in case they had anything that I would miss. But with without being able to do that, I decided to also encapsulate uh, a gear rundown on this podcast. So after I go over what happened um, on those last few days there of the hunt, I'm going to talk about... The gear I used, I'm not going to go through every single piece, but a lot of things that I was using, you know, what worked, what didn't work, and, you know, what I can improve on, I guess, going forward. And just just note, though, that these things that I'm talking about, I'm not saying that everything that I would use is the best or or the worst or anything along those lines. It all comes down to whatever worked for me and I did not test you know all the different companies all the different products out there but what I used why it worked or why it didn't work so that's going to be kind of the basis of it and wanted to kind of give that little bit of a disclaimer there before I started so hopefully uh you can't hear the loud thunderstorm here in the back we just got through a tornado warning here in, in central Pennsylvania so it's uh, a little bit loud with rain and everything, but the, the back porch seemed like the, the best place to come out here and, and work and uh, just kind of relax after the day. So anyways, get started here. So on the last, on day 12 of the hunt, uh, woke up in the morning and I was there with Joey, Gabe and Logan and we took off first light or not first light, about an hour and a half before first light actually in the morning. Um, left camp just before 5 a.m. and took off up the trail. So we were heading in the direction of where we were on day 11 where we had all those crazy encounters with the bulls. And, it, you know, it was kind of like a bugle fest there for the first time on the trip. So we headed back in there with some high hopes. With Since we didn't spook any of those bulls, um, we're figuring we could get back into them again. So we were actually a little bit ahead of schedule from where we were the day before got back in got to the aspen grove where we ran into that giant six point herd bull the the morning before and just kind of sat there and listened for a while 
and to our surprise, didn't actually hear any of the bugles that that we were hearing from that, you know, bugle fest the day before. We were figuring things were just, you know, firing up in there. But uh, at least right where we were there, uh, that wasn't the case. We did hear a few bugles down the, the creek a little bit further, and but it was very difficult to pinpoint where they were coming from. So we decided to, as the thermals were still coming off the mountain, we worked our way up along the Aspen Dark Timber edge and went up to the really high up Dark Timber and got up there below some cliffs and started getting into some a lot of elk sign. And there was trails and it just kind of smelled like elk. It, so we're like decided to kind of camp out for a little bit, listen from a high point, glassy opposing hillside, and do a little bit of calling. So we all kind of set up in some different areas with what we were hoping the wind was, you know, in our favor. But at, the, at that point, the thermals hadn't completely switched yet. So anything coming below us was ultimately going to wind us. But from the from figuring out that, you know, we just came up from that direction, didn't really expect anything to come from, from there. So as we were sitting there kind of by the, the trees, Gabe and Logan had pointed out on one of the aspens, or a couple of the aspens actually, uh, some carvings in there. And they had seen this in the past in this area because of hunting there for so many years. But there was a, a name carved in the tree with the date July sixth i think 1948 which is just absolutely crazy to see that being that old of a carving being an aspen tree that's still there legible and everything else so that was really cool but anyways so we sat there for a little bit uh gabe and i were kind of bugling back and forth and got a bull to answer us but he was again really tough to tell where he was at but he was definitely in the bottom somewhere and we knew we couldn't really approach them with the wind the way it was so we just kind of sat still and and shut up for a while well all of a sudden we started hearing an elk and uh or what sounded like an elk at least and he was coming from the side of us kind of below and we're getting kind of sketched out not sure what was you know gonna happen there because he was heading towards our wind and what do you know the elk hit our wind and blew out could not tell what it was because of the dark timber that was below us but we could only assume that it was the bull that was um calling back to us down the bottom so that was kind of upsetting that that bull um you know came up and and uh winded us there so of course when we didn't really want to call him in there is uh, when that worked out so uh that was the last we heard any bugles from that bull so we kind of just chilled out there for a little bit and and took the afternoon off as far as we just wanted to to wait and head back into the bottom as it got closer to the evening and reason for that is we knew there was bulls down in there and they were coming to this one part of the water source where the mountains where there was kind of like a saddle that ran down over the hill and some aspen groves ran to this creek bottom so we're going to go head back down there in the in the evening and not risk blowing anything out. So this was kind of something different than, than I'm used to doing where in the middle of the day, I typically am running through the dark timber and, and being kind of aggressive. But in this case, 
we weren't going to do that. And, and those guys, you know, talked, were kind of, you know, making sense to me of it because, you know, I, I wanted to, to move and, and I think Logan did a little bit too, but, but Gabe and, and Joey were kind of giving us well, good, really good reasons on why maybe we should be patient. We were patient the last few days and it worked out in having encounters. So that's what we did. We, we were patient with it and I, I don't think we could have made a better decision from that standpoint, but, uh, we went down there, got down towards the bottom glass, the opposing hillside, and we did see a, a spike bull and a cow up on a rock cliff, just looking down on the bottom. But it looked like they were just kind of looking down before they were going to head down for, for the evening for f food and water. But uh, we never ended up seeing them. So we sat there till dark. And as I would said in the previous podcast, I was getting pretty sick. Uh, and I really started feeling like shit about that point. When it was getting evening, the temperatures were dropping. It went from about 85 in the day down into, you know, the 40s at this point, right before dark. And I was standing right down in the creek bottom. So it's even, you know, colder coming with the draft coming down the, the, the creek. And I just got to the point where I felt like my body was just going to shut down. My throat was swollen and I just, it hurt to swallow. It hurt to breathe. And I just wanted to lay down and, and sleep. And it's funny how like, you know, something that's, I guess, essentially a bad cold is so much it's, it's so much more uncomfortable when you're in the back country when you don't have the comforts of being able to go lay in your bed or go in a warm house or get some soup or do anything like that it's just it's so different anyways once it did get dark um we headed back out of there we're walking back and i was just struggling i was having trouble breathing because i was congested up top but i couldn't breathe real good out of my mouth and I, I was really struggling and almost felt like my body hit a bonking point. So it just, everything shut down. My muscles shut down. My body shut down. Just felt extremely sick and actually broke out into a fever. And at that point I was like, uh, you know, this, this really isn't good. I don't know what, you know, what the hell we're going to do to, to get back there. And and the guys were really helpful, you know, Hey, you, you want to wait up? Do you, what do you need? Anything there? And I think, uh, Logan gave me some ibuprofen because I had used all mine that had my first aid kit. That's one thing I'd say before I go any further, I pulled out cold medicine and extra ibuprofen out of my first aid kit to save room and, and wait, uh, before the trip. And I, I wouldn't do that again. So I only brought for the whole 14 days, uh, six ibuprofen and I needed them right then. <laughs> so I, so I had used up all that and, and that was kind of a struggle. So anyways, we just one, one foot in front of the other, got back to camp. It was about a, a little over a three mile hike back and I just felt absolutely like trash but heated up i had a sockeye salmon chowder or smoked sockeye salmon chowder from heather's choice and man did that hit the spot in in the evening it uh that that meal is just my favorite that she makes and i know it is for a lot of people it's so good but that was almost like your hot soup that you needed and then also when i got back uh, logan had like uh i can't remember what he had some sort of cold medicine there 
again, luckily he was prepared for it and was able to give me that and just, you know, ate the, ate that, uh, sockeye salmon chowder and was getting ready for bed. But, uh, one of, one of, uh, Logan's family friends showed up who's, um, basically, um, a, a an old cowboy that lives in Colorado there. His father used to guide uh, Logan's grandfather back in the, I believe, the 60s or 70s. And and this guy's grown up in the area his whole life and everything there. So he came back and uh, on his horse and was just telling stories and everything else. So it was tough to go to bed when you're, you know, that sick. But hearing those kind of stories is, you know, what I lived to do at a hunting camp, you know, sitting around a fire, listening to these old stories about what it was like hunting in this area 40, 50 years ago is absolutely crazy. And was one of the most enjoyable parts of the trip to be able to hear those stories. So I went to bed uh, that night. Next day was the day to pack out. So we were planning on hunting in the morning and then, you know, packing out in the evening. I woke up. And it was at the point where I didn't think I could take another step from a hunting standpoint. And I was just going to hold those guys back. I was like, hey, let's, I said, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, to go out this morning. I'll get camp packed up here. When you guys get back, we'll be good. And we'll go. And, and those guys were kind of ready at that point too, and decided that they were just going to head back and we were all going to go back in the morning. So got it, made a, you know, good breakfast got up, cleaned up everything, got the horses all saddled up and and hiked out. So we had a the long hike out in the late morning as it started getting really hot and felt like I was getting a little bit delirious. I was still sick and tired and everything else. But got back out to camp there or back out to the truck and it was it was a good feeling, but at the same time I was I was kind of disappointed and felt really down on myself and everything else with not being able to fill a tag or anybody in the group fill a tag. And it it took until I was driving home for that really to settle in like as, as far as the whole time I was doing it, I kept telling myself, you know, it's just live in the moment, don't don't focus so much on the end goal that you're not enjoying the experience. And I think I did a decent job at that. And I was able to kind of reel my thoughts into where they needed to be. But, you know, at the end of the hunt like that, there's, there's always some disappointment. And if there's not, then, then, you know, you, you might as well just go out for a hike instead of a hunt. But, <laughs> and, uh, or at least that's the way I am. Not, not everyone, but it was when I, so I rode back with, uh, Logan to town and he was you know kind of talking to me he was kind of the same boat a little bit disappointed and and felt defeated at some point but you know we both came to the realization that that's hunting that's the way that it is and we had the trip of a freaking lifetime and you can't you can't pull that away i i, I spent you know essentially 14 days in the mountains in the backcountry not at work and nothing on my mind besides hunting, attempting to kill an elk and surviving basically. So that was, that was crazy to, uh, to think of it that way and realize how lucky 
that I was and then also how lucky the group was to be able to do that. So once you kind of let that settle in, um, it made it a little bit, little bit easier. I'm not saying it made it easier. It made it a little bit easier. But we got back into town, ate the biggest, greasiest pizza I could find, buffalo chicken with ranch and garlic fries. So anyone that knows me and everything, I don't. I eat pretty clean most of the time. Uh, I'd say almost all the time when I'm, you know, at my house or anything along those lines. But when I'm <laughs> after that, all I wanted was pizza. That's like my food of choice is pizza and an ice cold beer. So had that, all of us, you know, crushed that food. Uh, we went back to Billy, who was the the Cowboys' house there, and got a shower. And ended up hitting the road at that point. So those guys uh, took off a different direction. They had dropped the horses off at at uh, Billy's pasture there because for when their family was going to come back out in rifle season, and they were taking the empty trailer. And I told them to uh, just kind of go their way. They were going to head up Interstate 80, and I was going to take 70 back to Pennsylvania. Just decided to go by myself and not for any other reason other than I just had the time. I figured I'll just, I, when I wasn't feeling well, again, it sounds kind of dumb the way it went on, as I'm talking about it now. When it probably would have been a big help to to be with other people. But I just kind of wanted just to sit there and, and you know collect my thoughts as I was driving back. So started driving right then. So again, woke up, say 7 eight in the morning or so at the latest packed up camp hiked out and by the time we ate showered and everything it's five six o'clock in the in the evening and i'm heading out for a 27 hour drive back to pennsylvania it uh definitely i wouldn't say was one of the smarter things that i've done but the one thing i had going on my side was i had uh, leftover stromboli from the pizza place that Gabe left in my truck. Thank you for that, buddy. It was extremely good at 2 in the morning. And had a, a bunch of packets of uh, Mountain Ops Ignite to get me through. I actually didn't drink any coffee the whole way back. So just drove and made it to somewhere in Missouri as it was getting first light and I needed to take a, a little nap. So I fell asleep in the passenger seat of my truck woke up to extremely hot interior because I didn't crack the windows. And so I got a little over an hour of sleep, maybe hour and a half at most. Got back in the truck and drove the rest of the way. So left Friday evening, got back to Pennsylvania Sunday morning, about 1 a.m. Along the way, I stopped at uh, just about every you know greasy fast food place you could think of and plowed food. Ate a 12-inch Subway sub with a bag of chips. Um, I think I had a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi with it, and I do not drink any pop at all. So that was just something that was uh, a comfort item as I was going back for some reason. And as as you can guess, my blood sugar wasn't extremely uh, steady. And made it all the way back, and you know, that was kind of it. Drove all the way through with just sleeping that little bit. And I crashed hard once I got home. But it was uh, quite the amazing trip, I would say. 
So that's kind of the recap there of day 12 and 13. And I wanted to go dig into this a little bit further and talk about some of the, the gear that that I had used on the trip and kind of how that worked out for me. So the biggest thing that uh, that I talk about a lot and reason being is as going through a lot of extensive training on the topic and and testing myself would be the clothing system. So as many of you know, I'm a big proponent of performance apparel and I use uh, Sika Gear myself and there's a lot of other great brands out there. Um, you know, first like Kuyu and and the the rest of them there that make them, but Sika is what works for me. And I really love how fine-tuned you can build your system with Sika gear. And so I'm going to kind of go through my system here for you. Um, I I wore about kind of two different systems throughout the trip, but all it was was switching out a different base layer. The the main one that I wore was the the core lightweight t-shirt as a base layer and the merino core lightweight bottoms. So when I say the bottoms are basically underwear that are merino, and then on top of that ran either the the core lightweight hoodie, and this is where I kind of had a fluctuation there. So the core lightweight hoodie is a base layer, but I I wore it over top of the core lightweight t-shirt a lot of times for hunting during the day, or I. Uh, wore the apex hoodie in place of the core lightweight which is a little bit heavier it's a merino synthetic blend and that piece was new for 2018 the first time i got to use it super cool piece so for i'd say 95 percent of the elk hunt i was wearing the core lightweight t-shirt and either the core lightweight hoodie or apex hoodie and then for the bottoms the apex pant first time i ever tried them out i've been a strong proponent of sick as mountain pants for the last three years now and decided to try out the apex system after talking to john barklow sick as a big game product manager if you haven't listened to that podcast it's a it's a few back now uh, about uh, building systems and not specific to any brand but anyways so Sick Apex pant. I wore them for the whole entire trip. Never stunk. Uh, it's a merino blend, uh, again with synthetic. It's kind of a if you're looking at Sika's line, it's a mix between their Ascent pant, which is their extremely lightweight pant, and the Mountain pant. So it kind of falls in between as far as weight goes. But but those pants, uh, I had the knee pads installed in them. I love running knee pads for just kneeling down when you're you know cooking food or or putting on a stock or or even setting up and you're you know kneeling down on one knee it's uh it's it, I really like wearing those knee pads so that system right there is what I was running gunning with 95% of the time but in my pack I also included the Kelvin active jacket so that's a piece that's an active insulation piece meaning it provides warmth, almost like a lightweight puffy, but it also breathes extremely well. You can hike in it, and you're not feeling like you're you're turning into a wet sweat ball underneath it. So how I kind of ran that was with when I would run that core lightweight hoodie, 
I'd go right into that Kelvin active over top of it. And that there wasn't a really a time during that hunt when I needed anything more than, than that system right there. It, uh, I also had the Sika Dew Point rain jacket in my pack, which got really lucky on this trip and didn't experience a lot of bad weather like we have in the past. It it hailed a few times, but never snowed, never got any really bad thunderstorms. It was it was mild weather, so I didn't use that a whole lot. But that was kind of my Sika system in a roundabout. And also got to try out the flash hoodie a little bit. And that's a really cool wind stopper piece with tape seams to make it highly water resistant. But to kind of keep it simple here for everyone, the system that worked for me that I wore most of the time, always start with base layers. And the Merino lightweight boxers are, are legit. Don't buy performance hunting pant if you're not going to have performance base layers as far as in underwear boxer form. So that, the Apex pant, core lightweight hoodie, core lightweight t-shirt, and also the Apex hoodie were uh, the biggest the biggest things for me. So without spending any more time there, uh, I guess it's still a little bit part of your, your clothing system. I'm going to look at socks. So I ran Darn Tough socks and Loa boots. So I wore the Loa Tibet Cortex boots. And I've been running them for three years now, and I can't even begin to count the number of miles I've had on them. On this trip specifically, went over 120 miles hiking and did that with three pairs of socks over the, the 14 days. I did wash them halfway through the trip, but uh, two to three pairs of sock is all I need for seven days. And those darn tufts are just legit. They don't stretch out. They don't stink with uh, with them being merino, and they're darn tough <laughs> from the name, as, as cliche as it sounds. They have a lifetime warranty with them. They are 100% worth the $20 a pair they are. Uh, you can buy a couple pair of them, and it'll last you uh, literally a lifetime with it with their, their warranty. So those socks are awesome. So I ran them with the Loa's. And didn't have any issues with uh, blisters or hot spots or anything else. I think there was actually one day I was starting to get a blister on my on my big toe, and I just put some tape around it for a day, and it was fine. Uh, didn't get any worse. But those that setup was really cool. So when it comes to boots, I'm not going to sit there and say, "Oh, the Loa's are the best boot out there," because there's it all depends on the way your foot is shaped and how it feels so someone may say it's the worst boot ever it gave them you know hot spots it it hurt their feet everything else and it could depending on your foot design but for me i've really liked those that stiffer um kind of trekking style boot in the loa tibet um i'm gonna be uh, without going too much down a rabbit hole here i'm gonna be trying out some crispies here in uh whitetail season with a little bit of insulation, so 400 grams of uh, Primaloft insulation in them. Not enough to make your feet sweat when you're hiking in a ways, but uh, warm enough to keep you, you know, toasty in the stand. So, but I'll save that for for a different podcast. So, in addition to that, um, talk about packs a little bit. So, this is something that I I kind of went back and forth on here. So. 
a lot of people were asking me. I, I've wore a Kafaru um, last year, and I use it all whitetail season, and just plan on using it this trip. Love Kafaru packs. Um, what Aaron's doing with his team there is just, and they've been doing even before Aaron has been an absolute great job. Would I if if it were up to me, you know, I, I would never buy another pack after running that Kafaru. But it's in my kind of mind to want to try out different things. And Sick of Gear came out with a new Mountain Hauler 6200 this year. So I kind of wanted to try that out as well. So I split my time on the trip between the two packs. So for the first part of the trip, I I ran the Mountain Hauler. And again, what really interested me is is Park Lowe was behind the design of this with with the other te- the rest of the team at Sicky Gear, but they've been working on it for quite a few years now. And I know when John comes out with a, a product um, through Sicka that he's not going to release it unless he's extremely happy with it. And some of Sicka's packs in the past were great packs, but weren't great for you know carrying heavy loads. It kind you got some stress on your shoulders and and different so. This mountain hauler design just kind of jumped out at me, and I wanted to try it. So, ran that for the first part of the trip. I ran it with weight up to about 70 pounds, um, and then also ran it in day pack mode. Ran it in a whole different variety of of conditions. So, some things to note that I really liked about that pack was. It was highly water resistant without even the rain cover. I, I never pulled out the rain cover on the entire trip. Even when we got into some thunderstorms and everything, it never soaked through the pack. The water kind of beat it off and, and ran off the pack, which was which was really cool and convenient. Although I do run a lot of my stuff actually on this trip, almost everything in dry bags inside the pack. So I don't really need to use the rain cover. Um, I, I don't even know if I would have needed to do that with it. Um, with, with the weather again that that we were experiencing, so the the weight in that packs so on average day hunting was right around with all my camera gear, tripods, everything else was around twenty eight to thirty pounds, and and also four liters of water because I I drank like a fish, but it was really comfortable, and I think that 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 pack, the way the organization was, and everything else is is something I'd really enjoy doing a backpack hunt with as well. So as you heard from this trip, I didn't actually, we didn't actually do a backpack hunt. We did mostly truck camping throughout the trip, but there was a day when we were planning on hunting that I had it loaded up with all the camping gear and everything else and hiking up over the mountain. And it was a really comfortable pack. So that's, that was kind of one of the things that, that I liked about that pack. The so to look over at the Kafaru now, which I'd ran the year before and I ran for the second half of this trip. As I said, the Kafaru is a bulletproof pack. I mean, I really like that how custom is how you can customize it so much. So you can move pockets around everywhere. Where that's something you can't do on the Sika pack. Um, so there's plus and minuses with it. With with that being said, when you buy the Sika pack, you get those pockets besides the belt pouches that um, and everything's included. Where when you buy a Kafaru, you got to buy these things extra, so there's additional cost. But like I said, you can customize it the way that you want, and 
it was it was also I think it packed down a little bit tighter and better for me for day pack mode. Even though the reckoning pack that I was using from Kafaru was is not really meant to be a, a day pack. It's more of an extended hunt, but it you can tighten that down so much and just basically put all your necessities in the the belt pouches that I ran um, across the back of the pack for for anything you need to quickly access. So that was really cool um, with that pack. And the other thing that that I thought was a little bit of a benefit um, with the Kafaru over the Sika pack, and this is super small, but for me it was um, the, the Sika pack with being it, making it subalpine, it, it's really cool. It keeps you concealed and everything, but it's a little bit harder to see the straps than it is running on the Kafaru where it's uh, the Kafaru, I have it in the OD green color or a Ranger green, as they call it, with uh, coyote brown straps on it. So they're easy to see. You can grab them. You can find the connections together very easily. What Sika gear did, though, that was a huge benefit is when you have an animal down, all of their straps to strap the head on and everything else with uh, the internal meat shelf all has orange straps and connect to orange. So when you think of all right, you have an animal down, it's kill, you're at night, you're cutting things up with your headlamp, you just got to find orange and connect those straps together, and it, it works pretty simply. So both packs I was really impressed with and would would recommend them to anyone. So the the biggest thing is I did not pack an animal out with them. So that's one of the biggest things with an internal frame or an external frame pack is how well they work when you're carrying a heavy load. I cannot speak under that and I won't speak under that. So maybe there is a big difference between the two. I can't say yes or no with it, but from the way I use the pack and everything I experience, that's what information that, that I'll give to you guys. So any any questions on that feel free to send me you know an email or a message on instagram facebook anything like that and i can uh maybe clarify some of that stuff a little bit more but to move on i was testing out uh, a new bino harness from marsupial gear so i bought a marsupial gear last year and used it really love that pack it's um so it's a chest rig simple uh it's tough cordura but it has just a front zipper pocket where i put like some mouth calls and um, a pocket knife in the front pouch there keep a wind checker on the side and a range finder in the pouch on the other side and simple pack magnetic closure and this year uh they, they came out with a, a new one that's actually released now uh, but when, when i got it it uh was a prototype at the time so they added some quieter material on the inside of it so when you're sliding your binos in and out it's it's not loud it keeps it nice and quiet which makes it great for for whitetail hunting too which i'm excited about and that bino harness i i believe is 75 dollars for it which is pretty good for the price of a of bino harnesses and doesn't include a whole bunch of unnecessary pockets that make it bulky but uh keeps everything protected safe and gives you a little bit of storage there the other big addition to that was adding a cell phone pocket to the back of it so i hate having things in my pockets and my pants when i'm hiking one your cell phone gets drenched in sweat 
and everything else. So I put my cell phone in that pocket that went right behind the harness up against your chest. And I was worried about being kind of hot there um, up against your chest, but it wasn't. And I was able to quickly access my phone when I was checking Onyx Maps or um, wanted to take a quick picture or anything along those lines. It was it was great. So with uh, on my backpack strap, so on both the Sika and the Kafaru, I ran a what they call a Peak Design capture clip. And that was another thing that I've gotten a lot of questions on is how are you carrying around your DSLR camera with you on, on your shoulder strap? And that's what I'm using as a peak design capture clip. So I first had heard that when uh, Aaron Snyder and Brian Call were talking about it on the, the Gritty Bowman podcast. And uh, I, bu- I bought that a couple years ago and I've really liked it. It's taken a while to figure out how to get it set up on my strap so that I can still shoot my bow with it. But I've I've got to the point where I feel comfortable drawing my bow even with my camera on there. So that's that's a really you know big addition for me there. With inside the the bino pack there, so inside the marsupial gear, I'm running my Maven B twos nine by forty fives, and if you've looked at uh, my social media as far as like on the Instagram page. On my personal page, I had uh, I was running Instagram stories throughout the hunt. Whenever I'd get service, I'd you know upload a bunch of videos, and I was showing the low light usage with uh, my mavens sitting on a tripod. As you look out in the bare light, all you could you know see it was it was basically dark. But when you look through the mavens, you could still see the elk that were going across the the top of the ridge, and that was just super impressive. I've really liked Maven's um, product and also the company and the guys behind it are extremely great guys. It's a really small company, but they stand behind their product. They're extremely proud of what they make and the low light clarity, the edge clarity with with uh, ED glass that's in there is unreal. And as with a lot of other you know high-end binoculars and optic companies, they're doing the, the no-fault lifetime warranty on them. Even you do something to them, send them back, get them fixed. No questions asked. These guys are, are great and will take care of you. So those those Mavens were something that I'd, I would definitely recommend. And since they are a uh, direct-to-consumer company, they, uh, they can sell the product, a uh, higher-end product, at a lower price point. So I, I'm a huge fan of the, those Mavens. And uh, the B2s in the 9x45, and the reason why that's kind of like a weird um, number there, normally you see 10x42s, you know, some of those. So the 9x45, the reason for it is the design of of the binos with a, a lower magnification allows more light to come through. So in those low-light situations, you can last that extra five minutes and get a little bit wider field of view are you going to be able to sit there at half a mile and glass up, you know, a buck and be like, all right, he's got or a buck or a bull and say, he's got a sticker coming off his left too. No, probably not. But you're going to be able to tell that that's a shooter and you're able to see that there's a, you know, a deer there where, where something with more magnification, you may not be able to see it at that point. And again, everyone has their preference, but 
for me, for an all-around elk hunting uh, bino, that 9x45 was where it's at. So, you know, definitely check out uh, Maven's products if you haven't heard of them. They're uh, ex- extremely, extremely uh, good there. So, moving on a little bit, I want to get into water filtration. So, water filtration, uh, there's three different things that I use on this trip for water filtration. I used a SteriPen, uh, which uses a UV light to kill any of the bacteria. And I use Aquamira Drops, which is the part A, part B that you, you drip in the water and wait 30 minutes until it's um, good to drink. And then I also use the Platypus Gravity Fed uh, filter system that I've used in the past. To kind of describe what the difference is, like I said, the SteriPen is literally like a pen that you hold in your hand that um, it uses a UV light. You just kind of swirl it into water and it'll, I, I can't, I think it turns blue or once it, once it's blue when you're swirling in there and once it, once it's all, all the bacteria is out of there, it just shuts off. And that's how you know it doesn't take very long, a minute at most, to to do that for like a, a one liter Nalgene bottle. But the, the version that we had was good for a Nalgene bottle and and nothing more. So that's that's good for some you know quick drinks there. But also there was the Aquamira drops, which are just droplets that you put in again, part A, part B. So many drops for how many liters you're, you're doing it with there, and just wait 30 minutes that works extremely well also but the one downfall to both the SteriPen and the Aquamira drops is if you're in a place where it's kind of muddy or you have you know floaties in there and if that bothers you then those aren't the tools for you because you're going to get you know stuff floating around in there from the water if you have a perfect clear stream coming out then it's it's it works I think ideal um and the last system that I had is a platypus gravity fed. I kind of swore that I'd never use one of these again after having so many problems on plugging up in previous years. But if you're not filtering them out of an elk wallow and you're using it out of a, a creek or a stream or or even any anything like that, or even like a, a relatively clean puddle or lake, you can just fill up the three liter dirty bag. I hang it up in a tree. And it run, it's gravity fed, runs down through a filter and into a clean bag. And that filters out 100% of the, the particulates in the water and will make it very clear. But uh, for me to be clear, if you're filtering out of an elk wallow, as I had done in the past, uh, elk piss will take, taste like elk piss no matter what. So it might be clean, but it's still going to taste terrible. Uh, just an FYI there. So that was kind of the, the breakdown between the three different water filtration systems that I tried out during the hunt. From from that, going over to the, the food side of things a little bit, I had touched on, it's, it's definitely no secret that I love Heather's Choice meals. So I use her breakfast meals for... For the whole trip, so my favorite is the apple pie breakfast, as well as the blueberry buckwheat 
Um, actually, in the strawberry vanilla buckwheat as well. Those three are my favorite breakfast meals that she has. And also, from a dinner menu standpoint, I talked about the smoked sockeye salmon chowder. I had those for probably half the trip because I love them so much. And also the dark chocolate chili and a couple other ones that uh, that aren't released yet, but tried out a few of them there that are completely different than anything that she's come out with in the past. And I really hope that these, these come to market because they were excellent. And I'll, I'll talk about them more once they're released, but man, were those some awesome meals to to have. And then lastly, uh, but not least with her packaroons, those are just like the ultimate snack to be able to have with uh, like 180 calories per cookie, as I'll call it, what a packaroon kind of is, is like a coconut cookie, I guess. And they come with two in a package, so you're getting, you know, anywhere between 340 and 380 calories uh, in those two little cookies. And they are absolutely amazing. So th- those are like my, my main parts of the meals. I filled them in with a bunch of other stuff, uh, protein bars and uh, cliff bars, uh, trail mix, a lot of other things, coconut oil. I use those F-bomb coconut oil packets, 250 calories that I put in my coffee in the morning and uh, also olive oil packets to put in my dinners to add some calories. I'll go through a, a complete kind of list of food in a different episode because that's that's something I really want to dig into in more detail and don't really have time to do it on here. So we'll, we'll dig into that at a later date, but just wanted to cover it quickly. To kind of switch over to a shelter standpoint, so for the first be- part of the trip, really got... I ended up truck camping for most of the trip and slept in my James Brood USA. It's an evasion uh, hard shell tent. I, I actually did a podcast with with Craig Davidson, who's the operations manager out there at James Brood and OK four-wheel drive in New Jersey, which I'm going to release at a different point this fall. But before I release that, I wanted to use that this tent this this entire fall on my trips and be able to give kind of a, a good review on it. And so far, so good with it. It kind of changed the game for me as far as being comfortable. It was almost it was almost kind of unfair feeling like you're sleeping in a hotel room on the, the top of the truck. So the memory foam mattress that's in there is really comfortable. And even on the cold nights when you had all the windows zippered up and everything, it kept it insulated in there. So the walls aren't as thin as your normal tent and really keeps your body heat in there. It keeps you nice and warm and toasty. So that was a, that was a pretty big deal to be able to, to have that. And also to get air circulating in there, I had a solar fan. So I was running the little solar fan in there while, uh, while I was sleeping, keeping everything flowing. That was a, a serious game changer for getting a good sleep and some recovery. It, it's definitely something I'm going to use a lot. That I think in the whitetail season here too is, is when I'm you know driving a place say an hour from home or more, which are some that in Ohio I'll be going about five hours, and instead of driving back to a camp or a cabin, which I will do, I'm not going to you know go completely rogue here, but when I have the opportunity to stay in a in a warm house or camp, but 
I will be using that, um, especially after a long day. You come out, it's it's dark after an all-day sit. You just want to go to bed, eat, go to bed, wake up, and hike in early in the morning again and, you know, get back to your tree stand. So that is that is something that I can't wait to use then. But uh, on this elk hunt, that tent was an absolute game changer. And it's still on my truck right now. It's going to stay on there probably year-round. Um, anytime, 60 seconds, I have that thing popped up, set up, climb up in there, and and be you know sleeping in a matter of no time in addition to that i uh ran a, a slumberjack roadhouse tarp off the back of the truck so it's a big tarp that you can pitch in a bunch of different ways and use that to kind of set up a little camp table uh some chairs where we recorded these podcasts underneath that slumberjack this whole whole trip it was quick to set up really easy to attach to the back of your truck give you full access to your bed uh, into my cap and everything else in some place to move and cook things to and st- while staying out of the weather so that was that was a big benefit it's almost like setting up a one of those canopies but just completely becomes part of your truck and part of your your camp truck setup so uh, i have some pictures posted up and i have some more to to get out there of that setup with the slumberjack and the james brood um tent there so with with that, I was talking about how I was podcasting kind of the, the whole time on this trip and what I used to carry that podcast gear back in there without damaging it was I didn't want something as heavy as like a, um, I guess like a Plano case or, or a SKB case or anything along those lines. I really wanted to have something that was like a soft shell kind of but also tough enough to protect my headset which are not cheap so i ran a kelty uh kelty catch box it's called uh cash box excuse me and you can find them on amazon or anywhere else that sells kelty products kelty's a backpacking company um that is also supportive of the hunting industry so that's something to note and why i like to support companies that that are uh also hunter friendly so that that box was was pretty cool um fit all my stuff in there kept it tight and it was actually designed for cameras so for my dslr and lenses and everything it'd be great for that as well but i used it for my podcast equipment and it worked great held three of my headsets in there and uh, couldn't be happier with that. So that was a kind of a bonus there for the part of the trip where we took the horses back in from a shelter standpoint, I used the seek outside Cimarron tent again, which is kind of your typical four man teepee tent. So it's floorless, no floor in the bottom there, just one pole going up the center. And this year I upgraded four of the stakes to MSRs, uh, I wish I could remember the name off the top of my head now, but they're like these big long uh, stakes that have kind of a twist to them. So when you when you drill them into the ground, they're not going to pull out in high winds. So I ran that tent, and as a question that that I get, and I know that anyone else that runs these gets, is well, doesn't the rain run underneath the tent? And as long as you don't set up in a, a hole, you don't get water underneath the tent. And actually, the way I pitch it, I I leave gaps out 
um, to get more airflow through just to help with condensation and everything. And I don't have any problems with water coming in, which is a, a really big bonus. I can walk in there with my boots on since it's floorless, lay down on my sleeping pad and and go to bed with uh, without any worries there. And in Colorado, I'm not worried about snakes or spiders or anything there. So having that doesn't uh, doesn't affect me. And so what I do in Pennsylvania with that with that uh, seek outside is I have a nest that goes inside it. It's like a bug nest with a uh, a floor like a bathtub floor in it. So that uh, unwanted critters don't come crawling into bed with you. Moving on a little bit. Um, I carried a, a Garmin InReach Mini with me. So what, the, what that is is basically a satellite communication device for text messaging. You can text message any of your friends, your loved ones back home. And with those text messages... You run it through an app on your phone. So it's like texting regular on your phone. And you can choose to send out a location with that. So when they get the text message, they can click on the little link that's below it. And it takes you right to a a website with uh, the map on it and shows exactly where you are. So you could check in, say, I'm at camp tonight, you know, I'm at camp or I'm glassing here all day or whatever's going on. And that was a, a really cool um tool to have and i bought it when i was planning on going by myself um as a safety feature but it was great to have even when i did have people with me to be able to give updates back home and and make sure that uh just kind of stay in touch there so that was a, a a really good safety feature there that also has an sos button in case uh you know everything really goes bad and uh you need help right now so that was that was a cool add-on. And then lastly, something from a hydration standpoint that I used. So every day I had between one and two packets of Mountain Ops Ignite, which is like an energy and focus type uh, supplement that helps with, you know, giving you a boost, also hydration and everything there. And also just helps flavor your water so you're not just uh, drinking plain water the whole time. And with that, I'd also mix in uh, Wilderness Athletes Hydrate and Recover packets. So I've I've used the Hydrate and Recover packets for a few years now too, and really like them. They it seems to help when you're when you're tired and everything else has electrolytes and every all the other kind of like vitamins and everything to help you recover at the end of the day, but also I drink it during the activity and helps, you know, reduce soreness and everything else as you're moving. So that mixture there, I drank between one and two times a day, depending on how I was feeling and would highly recommend it to anybody. And like I said, on the drive back, the Mountain Ops Ignite was a game changer for staying awake while driving. It doesn't give you like jitters or shakiness that like high caffeine, high sugar things do. But it just gave you kind of a clean energy source to to get through the drive. So with that being said here, we're closing in on um, about an hour now. And that was kind of a quick rundown on all of, um, not all of my gear, but most of my gear. And some things I wanted to add points on there. So 
some of the topics I'm going to dig into a little bit deeper on some other podcasts. I'm going to be doing one with uh, Mountain Tough Fitness to talk about uh, the bonking effect that I experienced and why I hit that point where my immune system shut down and what I could do differently and what you can do differently to make sure that that doesn't happen. I hope everyone really enjoyed these podcasts. These daily podcasts were something that I had an idea of. As soon as I started the idea for East Meets West, I wanted to do these daily recaps. And I really hope, like I said, that they were valuable for people and entertaining as well. I know some of the days kind of got bland. As uh, you can imagine, when you're spending that much time um, in the mountains and hiking your ass off all day hunting, it's, sometimes you don't want to sit down and record a podcast at night. But I'm glad that we did and, and got all that completed. So all and any feedback is much appreciated. Please let me know. Uh, message me on social media. Send me an email. Do anything to let us know. And lastly, please go on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this at. Uh, give the podcast a rating and a review. I would really greatly appreciate that. So, And I think, I think we'll leave it at that. Also, oh, actually, one last thing here. So sign up for our, our email list online and enter in your email and be looking for uh, a contest coming up called the Rut Stash Challenge. I'm going to leave that at that right now until I get all the details ironed out and what it's going to look like. The Rut Stash Challenge is coming to you very soon. So check that out and let me know what you guys think. And hopefully everyone's had a great hunting season so far and and are going to have good luck throughout the, the rest of the fall here. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.